Last week, you know, we preached from Matthew chapter 13 on the parable of the sower. And we noted that God is the sower, Jesus is the seed, and we're dirt, made of dirt. Next, in Matthew 13, we read the following. 13, 24, he put another parable before him, saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. Jesus reveals that this is a parable about the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds, but not just any weeds. Zizanion, I don't know if I said that quite right. Darnell uh, is uh, the type of weed or, or tares. At our board meeting, Kathleen and uh, Nick, when we had a little Bible study on this, they said, that means this enemy is a terrorist. <laughs> Uh, trying to terrorize us. And, and that's accurate. His enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, literally fruit, then the tares appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? How then does it have weeds? That's a, that's a question I think that we all ask. God, if you made the world, what's with the... What's with the evil? And God, if you made people and you made them in your image, what's with evil people? What the heck is going on with Adolf Hitler and those dudes in ISIS and, and my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, my, you know, the people in my family. What's going on? How did you do it? How, what about them? Uh, so the servants asked the master about the field. How then does it have weeds? Verse 28, the master said to his servants, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then, um, okay, do, do you want us to go and gather them? Shall we go root them out? Do you want us to fix the situation? But the master said, no. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. And now this is his strategy. Next verse, verse 30. Let. That's it. Ephete, from Ephiami, translated uh, leave or, or, or let. It's also translated suffer, suffer the weeds, or forgive. Do nothing but let. <laughs> I think this may be our chief problem with God. Right? The problem of evil. He lets tares grow. I think this was uh, their problem with Jesus. He lets tares grow. I think that's the reason most folks recoil at the idea of God saving everyone. They think, God, how could you let tares into your kingdom? Well, Jesus continues telling his story. But the master said, let both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds, the tares first, and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it's grown, it's larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Critics like to point out that the mustard seed is actually not the smallest of all seed, and a mustard plant grows in something more of a bush, not a dendron, a, a tree. But I wonder if Jesus means that the kingdom is the smallest of all kingdoms, for its king has made himself the smallest of all kings. In The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis writes this, only the greatest of all can make himself small enough to enter hell. For the higher a thing is, the lower it can descend. A man can sympathize with a horse, but a horse cannot sympathize with a rat. Only one has descended into hell. Well, Jesus, you know, made himself least of all and was enthroned on a dendron, a tree that we call a cross, and now God has highly exalted him above every name that is named, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue give praise. Next verse. He told them another parable. 
The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour. Now, three measures of flour is like a massive amount of flour, what they mean by a measure, till it was all leavened. Leaven is yeast, and yeast is alive and small. It's a single-celled organism. It makes bread rise, and it turns grapes into, into wine. When harvested grapes and harvested wheat, that is dead grapes, and dead wheat are exposed to living yeast, well, they produce bread and wine. Jesus took bread saying, this is my body. And wine, this is my blood. It's, it's the harvest of the earth, if you pay attention closely to Scripture. And we are the harvest of the earth. So, so f f for now, Jesus is saying, we, we, we may not see the kingdom. And so it's easy to despair because we think it's so, it's so little. And, and I can't really even see it. Little and inconsequential. But Jesus says, yeah, it's little like a seed is little. <laughs> but it's going to get big. Really, really big. And yeah, it's hidden, but it's hidden like leaven is hidden. But it can't be stopped. It will work, and it will leaven all things. And, and by the way, it's already hidden in the dough. When a baker makes bread, he mixes the yeast in with the flour before he adds the, the, the water and makes the dough. It's distributed throughout the dough from the very beginning, and it grows until all is leavened. Not part leavened. All leavened. It cannot be stopped. Cannot be stopped. In the first parable, the enemy can't even damage the wheat. He can only terrify the workers in the hope that they will tear out the wheat. In the second and third parables, there, there isn't even any opposition to the kingdom. The kingdom will come, and it cannot be stopped. Next verse. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables and I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. That's Psalm 78 verse 2, which recounts, the psalm recounts the story of Israel. And so the kingdom of Israel is a parable of the kingdom of God. And indeed, the whole creation from the beginning is a parable of this promised seed, the king, and the wonder of his kingdom. And you can just hear Jesus' excitement as he's uh, talking about this, right? Uh, guys, guys, I, I know, I know, just look at the wonders of my kingdom, and, and I know, I know it's small and it's hidden, but it cannot be stopped. It's everywhere, and it's growing, and nothing can stop it. Next verse. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, uh, Jesus, uh, could you explain to us that bit about the weeds? <laughs> explain the parable of the tares. But Jesus just called it a parable of, of the kingdom. It, it's like they're saying, that's nice about the kingdom and all, but back up a little bit. Uh, we need some more info on on those weeds. Je Jesus, about that first parable, we think maybe we heard you wrong. Or maybe, Jesus, you told the story a little wrong. I mean, we all do that, right? Lord, we think these scriptures may be um, a little wrong. You're, you're, telling it, you're telling it wrong. That part about fire falling on Sodom, I mean, surely that is like some kind of antiquated, uh, pre-scientific, unenlightened way to, to look at things. <laughs> and that stuff about sex, I mean, that's not taking into account modern psychology and genetics and the things we've learned about sociology and, and that part about blessed are the poor. I mean, surely you meant blessed are capitalists or something like that, right? Right? We think you might be telling this story wrong. Well, I've come to believe that Scripture is remarkably accurate. And when we're in a pinch, the only way out is through. The way out isn't taking Scripture less literally, for lack of a better word, but taking it more literally. And I think Jesus would agree. They say, Jesus, could you retell that part about the weeds? And, and it's like Jesus says, 
Well, you asked for it. And so now you're going to get it. And by the way, you need to get it. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. Now that's a bit wild considering our last parable because Jesus talks as if Jesus, the son of man, is, is God and Jesus is the seed and so that means he sows himself in the world. How's he going to do that? Cut himself up into little pieces and distribute it all over the world? The one who sows the good seed is the son of man the field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The tares are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the tares are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin, all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will sign like the son in the kingdom of the father. He who has ears, let him hear. You wanted to know, and so there you go. And now um, they're in a bit of a crisis. <laughs> We're in a bit of a crisis. Crisis in Greek, it means Judgment. So, uh, Jesus, who are the sons of the king? Who are the sons of the devil? And what are we going to do about them? Right? Let's, let's just map it out. Jesus teaches that there are two things in this world. The sons of the kingdom and the sons of the devil. They are like wheat and like tares. Uh, now, look, uh, that on the left, that's, that's wheat and on the right, that's tares. Uh, you see, tares look like wheat. Wheat bears fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, self-control. Tares also grow fruit, but not good fruit, fake fruit. Looks like love, joy, and peace, but really, it's something more like lust, jealousy, and, and fear. Tares look like the children of God, but actually, they're the children of the devil. Sons of the kingdom, though, sons of the kingdom are the creation of God. Sons of the devil, well, they're the product of the devil, the, the accuser. Now, sons of the kingdom have a soul enlivened by the spirit of God. Sons of the devil have no soul. They have no spirit of God. They have no love and are incapable of love, and God is love. I think they're what Paul calls in Romans 9, 22, vessels of wrath, prepared for destruction. Years ago, I remember talking about this, trying to sort it out with my dad, and he stopped me and said, Peter, once I had this dream, I dreamed that somebody I knew turned out to be a vessel of wrath, and I woke up terrified, horrified, and I said, well, God, uh, Dad, I don't know that they were somebody that you, 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 you knew, because if they're a vessel of wrath, if they were a tear, well, then I think there was nothing to know. It might look like a person, but there's no person to know. You understand, tares look like wheat, but they are actually an entirely different species. So sons of the kingdom don't need to worry about turning into tares. I mean, no matter how bad a stalk of wheat might be, it can never, ever, ever turn into a tear. In other words, wheat has eternal security. Once wheat, always wheat. And likewise, no matter how wheat-like a stalk of tear might act, it can never turn into wheat. It's destined for destruction and cannot be saved. It is hopeless beyond redemption. Tares cannot convert into wheat. Isaiah 66, remember Jesus has been quoting Isaiah. Isaiah 66, end of Isaiah, the children of God look out of the New Jerusalem and they see bodies in the valley of Gehenna. They're burning in unquenchable fire, being eaten by a worm that will not die but eats death. Those bodies must be the sons of the devil. But now, according to Jesus, they are in our midst. So Jesus is validating all of our worst fears. Every culture on the face of the earth has legends 
about evil beings like these sons of the devil that leave people terrified. Skinwalkers, doppelgangers, uh, golem, uh, or, the, or the product of mad scientists like Mr. Mr. Hyde, uh, body snatchers, aliens having taken human form, vampires that look human but have no soul, zombies that look alive but are actually dead, evil robots from the future incapable of love. Jesus teaches that they are among us and not just among us in the world, but among us in the wheat, the, the church, right now, right here, in this room and so they're here just just look around just look around look look around look for them they look like us but they're not like us they're not of us they're they're among us what 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 are we gonna do about it i mean maybe we should be terrified maybe we should be anxious maybe we should be afraid maybe we should start an inquisition maybe we should pass some legislation maybe we should start a war and drop some bombs i mean they're among us and wouldn't you like to know just who they are would you Okay, listen, listen. Jesus tells us who they are. He tells us what they are, because I'm not sure that you can even call them people. Huios can refer to animals. Autos, them, can be an impersonal pronoun. Jesus says, listen, verse 41, the reapers will gather, and you gotta listen to all this, out of the master's kingdom, all causes of sin and all those doing lawlessness. So in a minute, I'm gonna have you raise your hand if you ever caused somebody to sin or ever broke the law, which means you probably still break the law because you see tears can't convert. And the law is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So breaking the law is not doing that or having not done that. So if you've ever not loved, raise your hand. That's terrifying, right? So is there any wheat at all in this room? Are there any sons of of the kingdom? Well, Jesus also said this. Remember, he said this to the crowd right before this. He said, when you pray, say, our Father. Now, when we say the Lord's Prayer, we say, our Father who art in heaven. So if you've ever prayed that prayer, you've said our Father, and I don't think Jesus would tell us to lie. So if you've ever prayed, our Father who art in heaven, you're a son or a daughter of the King and his kingdom. On Pentecost, Peter stood up and he said this, whoever calls, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So right now on the count of three, okay, listen to me. Right now on the count of three, I want you to call on the name of the Lord. I want you to say Jesus. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Jesus! Now say this on the count of three. One, two, three. God, help me! Okay, now that's a name in, in, in Hebrew. Uh, it's Yahweh saves or Yahashua, Yeshua, the name is Jesus. That's what the name Jesus means. So if you said that, you are a son or a daughter of the kingdom. A self-made man would not say that. God, help me. A son of the kingdom would say that. So if you've ever said that, God, help me, or Jesus, I want you to raise your hand. Well, that's kind of confusing, right? Let's look at 1 John. For 1 John, 1 John makes things incredibly simple and incredibly clear, okay? Ready? 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Everyone who commits sin is guilty of lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed, Jesus was revealed to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Everyone who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. Everyone who commits sin is a child of the devil. 
For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born of God do not sin because God's seed, uh, sperma in Greek, same word Jesus used in, in the parable, okay? It's interesting that this word is never used of the devil. God sows sperma and the devil sows something else. I don't think he has any sperma. I think that's why he's so angry all the time. Those who have been born of God do not sin because God's sperma, God's seed abides in them. They cannot sin because they have been born of God. You get that they, they can't sin, which I think means they have no desire to sin, which means they only will the good and they do it in freedom. It's what they want to do. The children of God and the children of the devil are revealed in this way. All who do not do what is right are not from God nor are those who do not love their brothers and sisters. And so he cuts to the chase in chapter four, verses seven through eight. He says it this way. Beloved, let us love one another because love is of God. Love is from God. Everyone who loves, listen closely, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. So if you've ever loved at all, raise your hand. You are sons and daughters of the kingdom. All things work together for your good. And now, if you've ever not loved, raise your hand. Wow. In fact, John even says this. He says, he who says he has no sin, the truth is not abiding in him. You know, I mean, unless, unless you think the Bible was written by complete imbeciles, how can you avoid the conclusion that each of us are like a wheat and a tare? Or like a field of dirt that contains both wheat and tares? And I hope you see what this means. You are your own worst fear. You are your own darkest nightmare. And all of our monsters are projections of ourselves. This week I kept thinking to myself, gosh, I've seen this concept somewhere, somewhere before. And then I remembered one of the most insightful movies that's ever been produced. Now, some of you young people may not be familiar with this, but this is a philosophical masterpiece that clearly should have won several Academy Awards. How's it going, Bill and Ted? Ted, it's us again. How's it going, Bill? Not bad, Bill. You? Bad. We came to help you guys in your most unfortunate situation. Yeah. Come with us. We'll show you. Okay. Excuse us. Dude. I got a weird feeling here. Why? I don't know. How do we know these guys are really us? Ted, we've been through this before. Now, if it wasn't for the previous intervention of our future selves, would we have even passed history? Or met the babes? Or had a most excellent adventure through time? Okay. Let's go, guys. We'll drive. Yeah. Hey, dudes, can we use some heat back here? Shut up, Bill. Oh, they use a real jerk. Yeah. I gotta remember to be more considerate towards myself when I become him. He said shut your holes! Dude, I got a very bad feeling. 
Out! So? We're Joanna and Elizabeth. <laughs> They're not here! Yeah, we lie. But here's the truth. We're totally gonna kill you now. <laughs> no way! Yes way, Ted! We're fully programmed to do it. Yeah, and we want to do it too. <laughs> you... Phil? <laughs> Ow! You're metal, dude! I know. Check it out! <laughs> Let's go. Bogus. That's Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, the sequel to Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, wherein Bill and Ted travel through time and their future selves help their current selves. See, it turns out that in the future, Bill and Ted's music brings an end to war and poverty, aligns the planets, and brings harmony between all creatures. In fact, Bill and Ted experience perfect dominion over all creation. But there's an evil usurper who hates their music, and so he creates evil robots to travel back in time and destroy, and now I quote, all of Bill and Ted's relationships. I mean, if there was an evil robot that looked just like you, that's what it would do, right? Destroy all of your relationships. In the next scene, Bill and Ted tell evil Bill and evil Ted that they love them. They say, I love you guys, hoping that that will change them so that they won't try to kill them, but it doesn't. Why? Because they're evil robots. Bill and Ted call them the evil usses. And I think that's what tears are, the evil usses. Only Satan didn't make them. He doesn't have power to make them. He gets us to make them with a lie. In the beginning, God said, let us make man in our own image, not some men in our image, and other men in some distorted perversion of our image. He said, let us make humanity in our own image and let them have dominion over all the face of the earth, all creation. In the future, we will. And in eternity, we already do. We're seated in the heavenly places with Christ. Yet an evil usurper hates that most harmonious music of all. And so on the sixth day, while we are still being created, the serpent lies to Eve about the goodness of God and tempts all of us to take from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in order to make ourselves in the image of God. He tempts us to take knowledge of the good in order to judge the good and make ourselves good, but God alone is good. And so of course we cannot make ourselves in God's image. We can only make False selves, imitation selves. Jesus will look at those selves on judgment day and say, depart from me, for I never knew you. And what is it that the word of God has never known? He doesn't know a lie. He doesn't know what is not truly there, for he is the truth. In John 8, to a group of religious Jews, that is people that believe they could take the knowledge of good and evil, the law, and with their own will and their own judgment, make themselves righteous in the image of God. To them, Jesus says this, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and has nothing to do with the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks of his own nature, like his nature is a lie, and a lie is what? It's an absence, an absence of truth. He speaks of his own nature, his own emptiness, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Do you get that? Satan is not the father of people. He has no sperma. He has no truth. He has no breath of God. Satan is the father of lies. 
and, and he sows lies where? In our dirt, in our hearts. Uh, then in fear and in shame, what do we do with that lie? We construct a false person. That false self may act like it loves because the law tells it that it should love, but bite into that fruit and you'll find it isn't love. It's fear. We can't make ourselves love. God is love. And so love always comes to us as grace. So we, the true us's, are created 100% by grace. You know, we spent a year and a half preaching through the book of Ephesians, and I hope you remember what Paul taught, that we all have an old man condemned to death, and we all have a, a new man eternal and seated in the heavenly places with Christ. We all have a, a false man constructed with lies, and we have a, a true man constructed with truth. You, do you have those pictures up there? Okay, a false man constructed with pride, shame, and fear, and, and a true man constructed with faith, hope, and love, and like I said, a false man constructed with lies, and a true man constructed with truth. In 2.4 he writes this, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We, we all were or seemed to have vessels of wrath. Paul also calls it this body of, of death. I think it may actually be this body of flesh that I have created how? By eating life and excreting death. I mean, that's pretty gross, don't you think? Well, Paul writes, don't be fooled. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So there's a humanity that God creates and an imitation humanity that we create, and that's the evil us's. Maybe you remember uh, these pictures. I'm sorry, I, showed, I had you do the pictures too early, Michaela, you were right. Um, but you saw that, right? There's an old man that, that we create, a new man that God creates, an old man that's false, and a new man uh, that's, that's true. There is a me, okay, now let's do that last one. There's a me that I have created with my judgments. Disobedience, darkness, lies, death, it's empty. And then there's a me that God creates with God's judgment, which is mercy. It's light and truth and, and life, and it's full. Uh, one is wheat and the other one a tear. And in this life where I am being created in time, I have both growing in my field. Every time I make a good decision, which by the way is called love, that decision is God's decision growing in me. God's judgment, a judgment is a decision. God's judgment growing in me, good judgment. Every time I make a bad decision, that is a decision that's, that's not love, well, that's a manifestation of the lie growing in my dirt. My judgment, bad judgment. So the wheat, and the tears in me look something like this. A bunch of bad choices and a, and a bunch of good choices. All those choices mixed uh, together. And now how can I root out the tears? I mean, with what judgment would I judge all of those judgments without uh, making more bad judgments which only weed up the root and are in fact the, the tears? So what am I to do? My own self is my own deepest fear. My own self is my own greatest nightmare. My self is my own deepest prison. So what is myself to do with myself? I can't kill myself. Because then I'm just trapped in, in more self. I'm terrified of myself and terrified with myself. I see that when I ask the sower, how can you allow evil in your world? I'm asking him, how can you allow me in your world? How can you let me be? I gotta do something. And so the disciples come to Jesus asking, what are we to do about the weeds? And Jesus says, let. Suffer, forgive, me. 
Let both grow. Do nothing. Stop. Shabbat. Sabbath. Do nothing. Now, I know that really bothers some of you. But I want you to remember that it's, it's not me that it's a, that's offending you. Jesus is the one telling the story. You must do nothing. You, you can do nothing. And yet, you know, when I really see that I can do nothing, it does something in me. You know, I preached on this parable 11 years ago, and honestly, for like 11 years, it sat in my gut like a seed, and it's changed me. The more I believe it, the less I hear the theme song from Jaws playing in the background wherever I go. I stop living in fear. I know that tears are a lie about other people, and they're a lie about me. And in the end, God will separate. God will judge. I don't have to worry about that. God will judge. In Isaiah 66, the bodies that are consumed by eternal fire and eaten by the worm that does not die because it eats death, they're dead bodies of all men, including the Messiah, who is numbered with the transgressors. Yet all men, all men walk out of the New Jerusalem and they watch this happen, giving praise to God for his mercy. They must walk out in new flesh. That's what it says. All flesh walk out. They praise God for his mercy. They stand in the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem is like a storehouse. It's like a barn. Zechariah says it will be surrounded by a wall of fire that is God himself. You see, the, the harvest in Isaiah 66 is in the barn. The New Jerusalem and the tares are being consumed with fire in Gehenna, and we all worship. Why do we worship? Because God has freed us from our deepest fear. He's freed us from our worst prison. He's freed us from our worst nightmare, which is ourselves, our pride, our ego, our shame, our fear, that lie that has taken root that we must create ourselves in God's own image. When I believe the story, I stop living in fear. And you know what else I do? I stop blaming myself and others. I mean, every, every, every good decision in me is the life of God rising in me, and it's an absolute gift and eternally secure. And every bad decision in me, well, it's already condemned. So there's nothing to protect. There's nothing to defend. There's nothing left to hide. I'm not responsible for creating the new me, and the old me is already condemned at the cross. And that's not just true for me. It's true for everyone. For Paul wrote... We are convinced that because one has died, all have died. Therefore, we see no one from a human standpoint of view. So I stop blaming, and I stop competing. No man is my enemy. The accuser is my enemy, and he's a walking lie. He's the presence of an absence. I, I stop hating. I don't, any, I, don't, I don't want anyone to be tortured forever in eternal fire. You know, a farmer, my grandpa was a farmer. I never saw my grandpa do this, pull up the weeds and then torture them, you know, over and over and over again. No, what does a farmer want? He just wants to destroy the weeds and enjoy the harvest, the wheat. You know, God enjoys me. God, I just have the hardest time believing that, but that's what Scripture's telling me, that he enjoys me. And maybe not the me you know, but the, the real me, not the false me that I create in fear and shame to be displayed in this world. And I think this may be the most wonderfully surprising thing about our father, but if you're a father, you kind of know this, but I, but I think this is the most amazing thing. He will never, ever enjoy your act as much as he enjoys you, just you, the naked you, the incomplete you, the real you. He knows that you're incomplete and not yet finished. He knows everything you try to hide. It turns out that you're actually far more inadequate than you think you are, and he loves you just as you are without any fig leaves. He actually hates your act 
So I hope you don't think you're your act or that will burn one day. He hates your act and he adores the real you, the inadequate and naked you, for he makes you adequate. He clothes you with himself. He is your righteousness. So, so anyway, I stop acting. And that means that I start living free. I start loving. I have compassion. I know that I'm surrounded by wheat, but we all suffer from tears. I know that in every person that's any person, there's a brother or sister imprisoned by a lie. I, I used to wonder, you know, if there were soulless people, sheer vessels of wrath, nothing but false self. But you see, a false self must be a lie about what? The true self. So even if the, in the, in, even in the worst person, I mean, even in the last and the least of these, even though it's hidden like leaven and dough or, or buried like a little seed in a field, there is a king waiting to be loved and a kingdom waiting to grow for where sin increased, grace abounded all the more and it will abound all the more. You see, sin is my judgment. Uh, it's dead, it's dark, it's empty, it's a lie and grace is God's judgment. It's life, light, truth and the, and the word of God. So when I believe the story that Jesus told, I surrender, I start to surrender my judgments to God's judgment. I don't need to judge, and what do I do? I start hoping that God will judge, for he will destroy the tares. I don't have to worry about that. He'll destroy the tares. He will destroy the work of the devil. He'll destroy lies by flooding them with truth. He'll destroy the darkness by flooding it with light. He'll destroy death by flooding it with life. He'll destroy lawlessness with what? Love. Love fully fills the law. He'll fill the nothing with his something, and he is I am. I start hoping in God's judgment. How sick is it that something or someone has taught us to fear God's judgment when God's judgment is God's word with which he creates us in his own image? I start hoping in God's judgment. And I surrender my judgment to his judgment and I'm filled with his judgment. Well, why do you suppose, and that Matthew records this, why do you suppose the disciples went back and asked Jesus to tell them more about the weeds. Maybe it was because they questioned God's judgment. And maybe because they thought they should judge others. Or maybe they thought they needed to judge them themselves. It's what you were doing. Oh God, am I a tear? God, give me more knowledge of good and evil so I can judge my tears and condemn my tears, uproot my tears and save myself. Do you see that that, that very desire is the tear? <laughs> the lie having taken root in, in the dirt. Jesus told them not to dig up the tears, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and and well, they ignored everything about the kingdom and his righteousness and just worried about the tares. So Jesus retells the story, but turns up the volume, saying the harvest is the centelia, the close, the full end of the age. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. God will harvest at the end of the age. God will judge. John 3, 19, Jesus says this. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and Jesus is the light. As the disciples sat in the light and heard the word, I wonder if their tears were being exposed and already starting to burn. In Matthew 9, he had just told them, look, 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 guys, the harvest is plentiful, not will be plentiful. You remember, we're talking about harvest time. He said, it is plentiful. So, so when is the end of the age? 1 Corinthians 10, 11. On us, the end of the age has come, writes Paul. Hebrews 9, 26. As it is, Christ has appeared once for all at the centelia, the full end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. John 12, Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world. And when I'm lifted up on the dendron, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all people unto myself. And when he was lifted up, when he suffered, uh, when he was lifted up on the tree and he suffered, he suffered all the bad judgments of all people for all time. At that point, he lifted his head and he issued 
God's judgment, he cried, Father, forgive! Let suffer Afiami forgive them. That is the judgment at the end of the age. That is the great white throne judgment where people are judged by whether or not their names are in the book and not by the deeds in the book. That is the judgment of the sheep and the goats, the wheat and the tares. That is the light of the world on a stand for all to see. That is the judgment. So if you think that you are your own judgments, if you think that you are a self-made man, that judgment will burn you like unquenchable fire because it is unquenchable fire. It is the word of Yahweh, grace. But if on the other hand, you think you are God's judgment, created by God's judgment, by God's choice, by, by God's word, which is grace, well then, well then you will begin to sing with the angels and you will begin to shine like the sun. Praising God with tongues of fire, a man on fire. Jesus hung on the cross and he issued final judgment. He is final judgment. That judgment may seem small in this world. That judgment uh, may seem small and it may seem incredibly hidden, but that judgment cannot be stopped. It's hidden in every flower, every sunset, every smile, every tear. It's hidden in every particle of creation and it's growing and cannot be stopped. It will burn away the tears and cause the righteous to shine like the sun. The tear is a lie about you. And the righteousness is you. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And stop trying to dig up all the tares. Paul put it this way. It's a very small thing. I think this has become my life verse. It's a very small thing that I'm judged by any of you. It's a very small thing that I'm judged by any human court. I don't even judge myself. I leave that for God. Does that mean he's fine with sin? Hell no. That's how he says it in Romans. Hell no. He's not fine with sin. He hates the tares. He doesn't want the tares. He just knows that he can't dig them out. Romans 7, he writes, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm just going insane, trying to dig up all my tears. I think I was too controlling. No, I was too passive. But that's probably just an excuse for being controlling. But maybe I really am controlling. No, I'm being too, too passive. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm working too much. No, I, I, the reality is that I'm just lazy. You know, uh, laziness is an excuse for working too much. I'm lazy about working too much. But was that lust? Or maybe that was lust, love. And if I dig up all the lust, will I dig up the love? If I, if I dig up all the alcohol, will I, will I dig up uh, com communion? Have I given enough? You know, even that I ask that question, have I given enough? Shows that I really haven't given. I really don't love. All I do is think about me. I'm kind of worried about me. Oh, crap. Thinking about me. I can't stop thinking about me. What's wrong with me? And I think Jesus just says, stop. Stop, Peter. Stop with all the judgments of your judgments, which only creates more bad judgments. And look, Look at my judgment. And so he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Eat it and do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. You see, you see what he's saying? I think he is saying, this is my judgment. 
This is my judgment on all of your bad judgments. I love you. I forgive you. I have always forgiven you, and I will always forgive you, for I, I am love. This is my judgment, not your judgment. This is not something you do. But this will do something in you, and then it will become you, and then it is something you do. I want you to eat my judgment, and my judgment will become your judgment, the judgment of love. Dark cup is wine, light cup is juice. They are both the judgment of God. God is the sower, Jesus is the seed. And we are the dirt. That was kind of small. And now it's hidden. And if you're like me, maybe you think this next. But God, I have some tears. I think... Other folks have tears too. And so I'm kind of worried about me. And you start uh, thinking about me. And, and, and you say, yeah, Peter, but, but you don't get it. I really hate the tears. I don't like the tears. And maybe you say that to Jesus. Jesus, I want to get rid of the, I, I mean, I like them and I don't like them, but I hate, I hate the tears. And you see, I think he looks at you and he says, I know. That's good that you hate the tears. Because the tares are a lie, and I am the truth. But now listen closely. Seek first the kingdom and my righteousness, and stop trying to root up the tares. You see, that's the gospel. Every day, sit before Jesus in the presence of Jesus in the presence of the gospel the good news, and he'll judge the hell out of you. <laughs> and that's the best news. In Jesus' name, amen.